Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Crystal Carruthers. She is the principal at Chromis Capital, which is a real estate-oriented firm based in Norman, Oklahoma. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Crystal. Thanks so much for having me, Jordan. Just give us a brief history. We'll get into more detail, but just give us a brief history of how you got to where you are today. Well, I had originally been an electrical engineer, but I found that that really didn't suit me. And so about 10 years ago, when I was home with my first child, I started scheming ways that I could change my profession and not go back to work. And before long, I had found creative real estate and, you know, here we are. (laughs) I managed to build our business um, mostly while I was home with the kids with my husband's support. And he was working his day job and then also working on our business. So um, it's been, you know, kind of by the bootstraps from the beginning. But now we're both full time in our business and it's given us everything we had hoped for. Very good. Let's kind of start overall on the real estate market now. Uh, Interest rates have gone up. uh, Prices have gone up. Sales have been falling lately. Um, You know, the Fed Reserve looks like they may raise rates even more. What is your appraisal of the overall uh, real estate market? I am proceeding with caution. It's a time that I feel like a savvy investor could actually really make a lot of money. But I think that you have to be cautious because, yes, these rates have changed everything. For the last, you know, however many years, the rates have been insanely low. And consequently, there are a lot more things out there that would constitute a deal than what we're seeing right now. But unfortunately, some people might have been a little aggressive in their deal making. And that will lead to opportunities for those of us that are ready to buy those things. Um, it's hard for me to speak just to the retail market because I've always bought off market and at a discount. But in my own dealings, I've watched the type of deals that I'm seeing in my, my email box really change over the last year. Things that would have been considered a deal a year ago are not at all that way now. Meaning sellers are are willing to give better terms, or what? How do you, how have the deals changed in the last year? No, really, it's so much of our cash flow has been eaten up by interest that last year we could pay a lot more and still cash flow really nicely. Now, in order to have a deal that cash flows, you've got to either buy it at a much lower price or have ways that you can drive the income up because the prices that things were selling for last year just won't work as an investment strategy now for most of the cases. Because, you know, we were getting loans at 3.75% or 4%, and the last loan we got was at 8.5%. And that money doesn't go, you know, anywhere that I would can use it. That's just extra money going back in the form of interest. Yeah. So your strategy... We have to buy a lot more strategically now. Yeah. Your strategy is to buy off-market bargains, so not things that are in the multiple listing service. How do you find good off-market bargains? 
through the years, we've we've done a lot of different things. In in the beginning, we got started mainly in houses, and now we've transitioned to commercial. And I'm still fine tuning the the commercial prospecting. But if you're looking for off market houses, honestly, one of the most successful ways is just by putting it out there to the world that hey, I'm, I'm looking for a house to buy. You know, I'm a real estate investor. Do you know anyone? And so once I started spreading the word, some of my best deals came from just word of mouth. And that's something anyone can do for no cost. There's also the the prospect of determining perhaps a group of people that might be motivated to sell. Because for most people selling to someone like me that's looking for a discount, it just doesn't make sense. You know, they've got a lovely house. They can put it on the MLS and they can get the price they want or close to it. I'm looking for the motivated seller that really it's not about the money. It's about they have a, a situation they don't know how to fix. Maybe they inherited a house and, you know, they live across the country. Or, you know, maybe they haven't paid their taxes for the last several years. And now, you know, depending on what state you're in, the county is getting ready to sell your house. You know, so for whatever reason, maybe it's a divorce, maybe it's um, inheritance, maybe it's condition. Your property is just so run down and you don't have the funds to fix it. So it just makes more sense to sell it now. Um, if you can identify a group of people that might want to sell, sometimes that's just by driving around looking for deals looking for distressed houses. Then, thanks to the internet, we can look up and find a way to contact those people. You can send them direct mail. You can sometimes find them through Facebook and see if they're interested in selling. Um, Obviously, bandit signs, little signs out on the road, depending on where you're at, if that's allowed. Um, Some people have success with that. We have a website that brings in leads, and, uh, you know, we, we find deals that way. But the main thing is just to be creative. And uh, if you can perhaps find those potential leads that other people aren't looking for, that's where you have more success. When you can just buy a a list of leads off the Internet, well, everyone else can do that, too. And you're not going to have a lot of success with that. And ultimately, the MLS may end up being a good source of deals, especially as the market changes. In the last you know, four or five years, it really hasn't been a great source of deals if you're looking for a discount. But as the deals, you know, I guess, become more ready and more available out there, you may start seeing them and a realtor may be helpful as well. Do you buy real estate all over the country or mostly where you are in Oklahoma? Mostly in Oklahoma. We have bought in Texas and Arkansas, but for us, it, it has to be really an outrageous deal to want to manage it from afar. We're most familiar with our home market, and so we can keep a better eye on things. And I feel like we're just less likely to make a mistake, you know, to misjudge the market in that area. Even in an area you're familiar with, there can be huge differences from block to block. And it's really easy to make those kind of bad judgments when you're buying in a place that you have no familiarity. So unless you were in an area that maybe isn't conducive to good real estate investing, such as, you know, you wanted to be a landlord, but you live in California, the uh, the laws in California or say New York are very tenant friendly and not always the best places to invest. Not to mention the struggles with actually renting it for enough to get enough cash flow in those areas. 
So if I lived in an area like that, I would absolutely invest from afar. But luckily, I, here in Oklahoma, our real estate is cheap and we have a strong rental market. So it's, it's worked out well for us. You say that the cost of entry into real estate investing is lower than a lot of people think. Tell me about that. There are a lot of creative ways that you can buy properties without having much or any money in it. I know a lot of people have seen those late night infomercials about how you can buy houses with no money, things like that. And it's actually true. Uh, you have to work harder to find those kind of deals. But there are deals out there, that, especially when you're prospecting off market, perhaps you can find a deal where someone will sell or finance to you. And if someone's willing to do that, they may also do it for only maybe $1,000 down or maybe no money down. There's also the option of wholesaling, which is it's not going to let you own a house, but it's a great way to make money in real estate, meaning you sign a great deal with someone. And then depending on whether it's, you know, you, you want to make sure you follow all the guidelines and you're not doing anything that might be restricted in your state because there's a couple of states that have restrictions on it. But you have this great contract for, say, $50,000. The house is worth $100,000. And the house needs $20,000. So it could be fixed up for $70,000. And so that's $30,000 in equity, which is a great deal. Well, you don't have the money to buy that. So you sell it to your friend, the investor, for a $5,000 assignment fee. You literally are selling your contract in that case. So at the closing, your friend that is buying it, they show up and they pay 75 or well, at this point, it'd be 55000 your purchase price of fifty plus the assignment fee. But they'll be all in it with repairs at 75000 So it's still a great deal for them. The seller sold their house like they wanted to. And you walked away from the closing with 5000 Wholesaling is an interesting idea that we don't have to de dig too much into, but there's a world of resources out there on the internet. And then like for a third way that you can be involved with very little money is to use private money or hard money. Private money is basically maybe your uncle or your friend or your father that, you know, has the money that's sitting there, maybe in an IRA, not earning much. And they're intrigued by helping you with real estate or, or investing in real estate. And you just use them as the bank instead of the bank. We have worked with a lot of private lenders through the years, and when rates were, you know, maybe 4%, we would pay our private lenders 8%. So it wasn't an outrageous number, but it allowed us to borrow both the purchase price and the rehab money. And since we were buying at a discount, later, once we had the house rehabbed and rented, we could turn around and refinance that with the bank and you know, we would still be into that house at less than 80%. So we would be able to get a loan on that for the entire amount. The key with all these things is you have to make sure that you're still going to be cash flowing, that you're not over leveraging, that sort of thing. You can't get, just because you can do it doesn't mean you should get too aggressive. But as one of my mentors once told me, if you're leaving 20% in every deal, it doesn't matter how much money you have, you will run out of money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, you have to find creative ways to, um, if you want to keep buying with velocity. Yes. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Crystal Carruthers. She's a creative real estate investor based in Norman, Oklahoma. Her company is called Chromus Capital. 
Uh, you can find out more at her website, chromuscapital.com. We'll be back after this. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Crystal Carruthers. She's a creative real estate investor based in Norman, Oklahoma. Her firm is called Chromus Capital. And you can find out more at her website, chromuscapital.com. Welcome back to the show, Crystal. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. The key to you is passive income. Uh, so there are different ways of generating passive income. One of them is uh, triple net lease investing. Is that something you do? And explain how that works. Yes. So in the commercial world, it's kind of interesting because you end up learning a whole new vocabulary because often the same things are just called different things and from residential, but triple net is referring to the terms of the lease with your tenant. And so one end typically means the maintenance expenses. Another end would be the property taxes. And a third one would be your property insurance. So you will see single net, triple net, double net, all those types of deals. And, and there are variations, but, a triple net deal is one where typically the tenants are paying all of those three things, the property taxes, the insurance, and some or all of the maintenance. If there's any flexibility in that, it's typically on the maintenance side because you will see things deemed as a triple net lease. But when you actually read the lease, maybe it still has the owner covering the the roof or maybe large HVAC repairs. But it still means that they're not calling you just because they have a minor problem and that that makes for, frankly, a great relationship between you and your tenant. And if you really don't want anything to do with it, there's even absolute triple net, which means basically 
you buy it, you sign the lease, and basically never call me again. Uh-huh. <laughs> in a good world, though, you'd be still keeping an eye on your property, make sure they're following through on their part. So, so the advantage from I can see the advantage from the investor, the landlord's point of view. But why would a tenant want to take on all those costs? They might not. It it is sort of a a common requirement in a lease when you get into commercial. Commercial is just a whole different world, and by asset class, you'll see differences in what a standard lease might entail. So, a nice class A shopping center is almost all going be triple net because, you know, those tenants want to be in that building and the landlords can say, if you want to be in this shopping center, these are the terms. When you get to one that maybe they're having a harder time filling, well, the landlord may say, okay, well, I'll do this maintenance, but, you know, you still have to pay this. Or when you get into, say, an office situation where, you know, you're sharing a lot of common areas and stuff, it may be different still. Office, I would say, has the least of these triple net leases for the asset classes. And then you have retail sort of in the middle where you see it both ways. When you get into industrial, they're almost always triple net. And that's the most likely area to find an absolute triple net situation. And if you think about it, you know, you may have a lovely building with concrete all around it, but you rent it to a trucking company. And next thing you know, the concrete is cracking due to the wear and tear. It is only fair that 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 tenant would be responsible for that maintenance at that level. So this does not exist in the residential market, triple net lease then? No, no. I don't think you would ever see this in triple net. In fact, um, I believe that there may actually be laws against it in terms of what you can require out of your tenants. Yeah. I've so, at so least never seen it in residential. You, you do a little bit of each. You do residential and commercial, right? That's right. We we had always done residential until basically 2020 when the world shut down and there was an eviction moratorium. And frankly, we didn't know if any of our tenants would pay us because, well, they didn't have to at that point. Luckily, we had a great relationship with our tenants and we stayed in contact and we set up rent deferral plans for the ones that needed it, things like that. And in the end, we had very few that abused what they the, the scenario that we were in, but it, it did sort of educate us on the fact that maybe it would be wise to have some different asset classes where this sort of scenario might not happen again. And so with that, we started looking more at commercial things, but we do still buy some houses, but at the, there's also a benefit of scale that, you know, commercial buildings are just larger. So if we want to scale faster, we can buy one commercial building for the same of, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 houses all in one one swoop. So that has an advantage for us at this point as well. Yeah. Um, what is your view on the office market? I mean, people are saying people are not going to go back to the office and uh, work remotely. And it's kind of a permanent situation. What, what is your outlook on office? It's probably the asset I'm looking for the least, other than the fact that I would love to have my own office. (laughs) If I can find a good deal on an office where I would like to move into and then I can rent out some of the spaces, I would be open to that. But just as an investment, it would have to be really, really cheap because it doesn't take a huge amount of tenants scaling back to make a big difference on a, a rental market. 
And so even though I feel like most businesses have gone back to work, it definitely has shown companies a different way of doing business. And right now the office market is struggling a great deal. So even though I see some deals that I think, wow, that, that looks promising, I have to project out several years because maybe, you know, more of these companies that are in leases currently, they may decide to let their people work from home because that's such a popular thing to be able to offer your your employees. So I wouldn't say never, but I, I would have to have an extremely good deal to want to invest in office right now. So in commercial, do you like uh, retail or, or industrial? What are your, your favorites in commercial these days? I like both of those. The retail, obviously, everyone's watching, you know, with bated breath as to whether all these interest rates will push us into a recession. And retail is one of those areas that we don't have to have. You know, residential often can weather a recession pretty well because, Yes, you can move back in with your parents. For the most part, everyone's going to still want a home. But if you just have less businesses in place, then you may not be able to rent your retail space. That being said, you just need to pay you know a lot of attention to location. You want to be sure you get in a popular area with you know a large traffic count going by, things like that. And you know hopefully you develop some good relationships with your tenants as well. So I still like retail, but I'm I'm looking at it a little bit carefully now. Industrial has been really hot for the last couple of years, and I'm very interested in industrial because there's after the shortages and issues with getting parts, there's a real movement amongst American companies to bring back some of their manufacturing or at least be able to store more things here. And they're calling this I've heard the term reshoring. So instead of offshoring it, they're reshoring. And so these companies just don't ever want to be caught in the scenario where they can't get parts for a year like they were in the last few years. And so industrial spaces are really ramped up, plus shipping in general. Everyone's buying everything online. That that leads to industrial space as well. Self-storage is, is hot as well. I have not personally invested in that, but I've got my eye on it just in case, you know, the right opportunity comes along. What do you have in industrial buildings? What is in your portfolio in industrial? Right now, um, we just have one currently. And this one is one that we actually bought in an auction at an unbelievably low price. And our right now, it is not currently leased. We bought our, it was our first one and we bought it in January. And Pretty much the whole model on that is just to lease it. We may end up having to subdivide it because it's a huge space. It's 90,000 square feet about. So it may not be that we can find a tenant that will take the whole thing, but we got in it so cheaply that if we just rent about 15% of it, it'll cover our holding costs. So at this point, we just need to find a tenant and uh, we may have to get creative on it in the end, you know, subdivide it, make it into storage, something else like that. But buying things cheap enough gives you a lot of flexibility there. And it that's the kind like, of deal we love. It sounds like creativity is an important part of success in real estate. You've been creative in several different ways. Does that sound right? Yes. And, and that's what I love about it so much. Um, it allows me to do different things every day. 
And that definitely wasn't my life back when I was an engineer. You know, I knew pretty much what was going to happen every day when I went into there and worked in my cubicle and everything. But you can definitely succeed in real estate without doing things as creatively as I have. But I think it helps to have a whole lot of money if you're going to do it that way. If you're starting from scratch or from a small nest egg, the more creative you are, um, the better return you're going to make on your money. Yeah. So it sounds like both the financial creativity, but also kind of envisioning how you might use a space before you buy it is part of the creativity. Yes. Um, I mean, and that's why like this particular brand of real estate where we, we prospect off market, we, we repurpose things, you know, they, they call that creative real estate for a reason. Cause it's, it's definitely not just, you know, go out, buy your typical deal and do it. It's, um, you know, especially in commercial, what I love about it is the valuation doesn't come back to comps like we're familiar with in houses. In houses, you know, if your neighbor like starts parking cars in his front yard or, you know, does something else, it can affect either positively or negatively your value of your house. In commercial, the valuations are based on the net operating income. So if you can either come up with a way to raise the rents or lower the expenses, boom, your property's worth more. So I enjoy the fact that I have more control over that. And if I have a different vision for it than the last owners, which is, I feel like, the case in this industrial building, then, you know, there's an opportunity for enormous potential. Do you also do fix and flips on residential? Do you buy something cheap and fix it up and then sell it? I have done some, but it's probably one of my least favorite um, types of real estate just because I always joke that I am um, creatively impaired, which is ironic because I'm very creative in structuring deals or negotiating or that kind of thing, but you don't want me to ever pick out the colors. <laughs> I do not have the right mind to design a house, you know, what it's going to look like or, you know, envision what I can do to something to, you know, make it really pop. If it comes down to that, I have to hire someone because uh, my husband is likewise not blessed with that innate ability. So we've done some through the years, but that's not something we do often. That's usually just when I found a fantastic deal and no one else wanted it. And so it was just too good to walk away from. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Crystal Carruthers. She's a creative real estate investor based in Norman, Oklahoma. Her firm is called Chromus Capital, and you can find out more at her website, chromuscapital.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. 
If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Crystal Carruthers, creative real estate investor based in Norman, Oklahoma. Her firm is called Chromis Capital. Her website is chromuscapital.com, and her email is crystal at chromuscapital.com. Welcome back to the show, Crystal. Thank you. So one of the things you like about real estate are the various tax benefits uh, of it. And let's go briefly go through what some of those are. What are some of the tax write-offs uh, that you can have when you're investing in real estate? Well, the most obvious one is depreciation. And depreciation is often called sort of an imaginary expense, but basically the government recognizes that, you know, you're going to have wear and tear on your building. Now, in truth, often your building will appreciate. We hope that our houses or our buildings will appreciate, but the government allows you to take a certain amount of your taxes every year as depreciation. You're actually required to. So in a house, Basically, whatever the value of the house is less the land, and then you divide that by 27.5, and that's the number of years. And so every year you take that amount off your taxes. So say you made 5000 in real estate income, but maybe you had 4500 in depreciation. Well, you're only left with you know, a so-called $500 actual profit, even though that's not the money that you put in your pocket. So... Depreciation is is really the biggest one, and depending on your situation, you can use it very strategically. Um, there are times when you can take it against your active income. If you're an active investor, which the IRS determines by the number of hours you put into your real estate business, um, there's different categories. There's passive, active investor, and real estate professional. And each one of those can use depreciation and other expenses um, differently. But it is definitely, in my opinion, the easiest way to reduce your taxes. Um, by being strategic and investing in things that were going to get us more depreciation, I mean, we have taken our taxes almost all the way down. And it's not that, you know, we never have any income. But that's the way the tax code is written, and that's the way we do it. Um, you can also obviously write off your expenses. You can write off 
um, you know, anything that would be a typical business expense. So all those things often mean that, you know, at the end of the day, you don't show any income on your real estate, even though you had some in your pocket. Yeah. So that that is definitely the the biggest single um, write off you're going to get from your your real estate. Another one is to use a pass through deduction. How does that work? Well, there were some tax uh, changes when Trump was in business, and so you can. Um, I, I'm not an expert on this part because this is why I pay an expert uh, accountant. But it changed it so you can deduct a lot more of your business expenses. And um, it, it definitely changed. That was one of the major perks under Trump's administration that happened um, that really made it better for those of us that are investing in real estate. I guess I shouldn't have been surprised he would um, have an eye on things that would affect real estate after all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is using partnerships and LLCs in various ways. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, which I would always is- advise everyone to use an LLC or some other sort of business entity like an S-Corp or a, a C-Corp um, just due to liability issues anyway because real estate can be risky in terms of lawsuits. It doesn't take much for someone to injure themselves at your house. And if you just have that in your own name or, say, a limited partnership, you're – putting yourself into a lot of potential risk there. So you definitely, if you want to start buying, you want to make sure you're buying them in the right entity, both for taxes and for liability reasons. Yes. Another advantage of real estate you talk about is uh, capital gains and uh, being able to do long-term capital gains through investment property versus short-term. How does that work? Well, whereas as a real estate professional, I can use, depreciation to offset everything, even the passive investor can really take uh, advantage of paying the capital gains rate instead. So capital gains, I think the incentive there by the government is to encourage people to make long-term investments. So if you have held something longer than a year, you get a reduced tax rate from your earned income rate. So if you say buy a property and it doubles, in five years, when you go to sell it, you're not paying your regular earned income rate that you would pay from your day job. You're getting it, I believe it's 20% currently. Actually, that that varies by what your income rate is as well. But it's typically less than what your earned income is. And if your Uh income is low enough, you may not have to pay it at all. Because I believe it goes all the way down to zero depending on what your income level is. Yes. Uh, another advantage is uh, the incentive programs, one being the 1031 exchange. Explain how that works. 1031 exchanges is something that actually has been talked about a lot by the Biden administration. They have been tempted to change it, and I, I rather hope they don't. But basically, it allows you to sell one piece of property, and instead of paying the taxes on those gains right then, if you follow the rules of the 1031 exchange, which there are some rules to it, you can immediately buy another property and just move all of that gain into the next property. So you basically just kick the can down the road a little bit. It doesn't mean you avoid the taxes forever, but you may avoid them till you die if you keep doing that. 
and then your people inheriting, you know, they would inherit it at a stepped up basis and they'd be okay too. So there are a lot of rules, meaning that you have to designate your replacement property within 45 days of the sale of your, the property you're selling. And then you have to actually close on it within 180 days of the property that you sold. And so the real challenge for me is always finding one to identify. So if you think you might want to do a 1031, I would always advise to start looking ahead of time. You don't want to just be starting from scratch if you can help it. Um, the moment you get your property under contract to sell, you need to really be pushing to find a replacement property because that should give you another month to month and a half to try to find a replacement property. And you can even say, say you have a, an expensive property you're selling. Maybe you can't find one that makes sense for you to buy in that price range, but maybe you could go buy two or three smaller ones. So there is flexibility there and how, what you replace it with. You just have to, if you're selling some kind of property or land, you have to replace it with property or, or land. But yeah. it doesn't have to be like a house to a house or an industrial building to an industrial building. So and they, you work oh, with the like, 1031 administrator, luckily, and they will definitely guide you. They, they call it a like-kind exchange, I think is what they call it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another tax advantage of real estate is the so-called opportunity zones. Uh, explain how those work. Yes. So in an opportunity zone, those are areas that the government basically has deemed could use a little bit of extra love, I think. And so they give incentives for investors to come in and help develop and stimulate those, those areas. And so you can defer your, your capital gains. Um, you can avoid paying capital gains entirely if you remain invested for more than 10 years. So it's a different investing strategy. You know, 1031s often you just, you know, you can turn and burn on those if you really want to. You only need to keep that property for maybe a year before you could sell it and turn it into another one. Now, 1031s do not work on flips. I should throw that out there before everyone decides to go flip a house and, and do it. It has to be a something that you've held a while. But, um, you know, both of these are, are great ways to mitigate your taxes. And more than that, just if you'll put some thought in it before you run out and sell something, there's no need to have to, you know, give back all your profits in taxes because there's a lot of different options. And opportunity zones don't have such a strict designation period like 1031s do. So maybe you missed your window of a 1031. You could still be looking to invest in an opportunity zone. Uh, another thing about uh, real estate is that you can be self-employed uh, without paying the Social Security tax. Explain how that works. Yeah, so when you're self-employed, um, those of us that have dealt with this realize that you pay a lot in, in self-employment tax. So typically, if you work for someone, you pay 7.65% for FICA, which is including your Social Security and your Medicare, and your employer pays half of that. So no one really likes paying the 7.65%, but at least your employer is paying a matching amount toward, you know, the government. When you're self-employed, you're paying the entire 15.3%, and that kind of hurts. But if you set it up correctly in an S-Corp is how I understand it, you pay yourself a payroll out of your S-Corp for what a typical salary would be for your job you're doing, 
And then the profits above that don't have to pay the 15.3 self-employment tax. Um, there's also differences when you look into rental properties. So th- that's a way that like if you're, say, flipping or wholesaling and doing things that would typically be earned income. Um, rental property in general, that income isn't going to fall under that 15.3% tax rate at all, which makes it, I mean, you don't even have to jump through the hoops of doing the S-corp in that case. But those are both ways that you can um, avoid paying the 15.3% while you do real estate. Um, tell us the difference between an active investor and a passive investor in real estate. Okay, sure. So there's really three designations. So you have a passive investor and that is someone that basically is, they're truly passive. They are completely hands-off. They don't deal with the tenants, nothing like that. Um, and, you know, that is a nice situation, but you don't have as much control. Um, there's not a potential for sweat equity, and you're definitely not liquid because often you're invested in someone else's deal. So that means you don't have control over when things sell. Um, you've got an active investor, which is the next category up in the eyes of the IRS. And in that case, you do have complete control of the project. You can go solo, not have to deal with investors. Um, you know, you can do extra work on it to get sweat equity, but it's also a, a much larger time commitment and increased, you know, financial risk and liability because you're the, you're the main person here. Um, in that case, you have to meet certain guidelines with the IRS in terms of how many hours a year that you put into it. And most people that are doing their own deals but still have a day job fall into that category. So if you're going out and buying real estate but you're self-managing, you're fixing things up, or even you're just running that, that's an easy category to get into. Then you get into real estate professional, and that's someone that has more than 750 hours a year in real estate. And it can be in many different ways. It can be um, as a realtor. It can be as an investor. It, it falls under a lot of different categories. It can be a builder even. And if you have more than 750 hours a year and you don't have another job where you're working more hours, then you can be deemed a real estate professional. And a real estate professional can really take advantage of the depreciation out there. And the nice thing is, you know, say one person in a relationship is a neurosurgeon and the other person is working on real estate doing you know, enough to qualify as a real estate professional. When you file jointly on your taxes, all that depreciation that you're getting from your investments can actually not only go against the income as an investor, it can go against the other spouse's income. So with enough depreciation, you could actually, you know, completely negate not just the taxes on the investment side, but the taxes on the other spouse's side that may have a very high income. Uh It comes to a a point where you almost can't afford for your spouse to be, you know, working a day job, they, they need to go out and get real estate just to, to qualify for this because, you know, you reach a certain tax bracket where it feels like you're paying everything in. Um, I, I know multiple people that they purposely chose for one of the spouses to leave their current job and take up real estate solely as a tax, just for the tax reasons. And they're making money on their investments, but they're probably saving just as much as well. Very good. We're going to take another break. A lot of people don't realize they could do. 
Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Crystal Carruthers. She's a creative real estate investor based in Norman, Oklahoma. Her firm is called Chromas Capital at chromascapital.com, and her email is crystal at chromascapital.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Crystal Carruthers. She's a creative real estate investor based in Norman, Oklahoma. Her firm is called Chromas Capital. Uh, you can find out more at chromascapital.com or her email is Crystal at chromascapital.com. Welcome back to the show, Crystal. Thank you, Jordan. So you're passionate about uh, financial literacy, teaching people about real estate. This is not really being taught in schools very much. What, what do you think should be done in that area? Well, there are a few schools that teach financial literacy, but it's mainly things like, you know, how to balance your checkbook, things like that. And I feel like we could take it a step further and be teaching children not just how to write a check, but how they can make their money work for them. Um, even the, the concepts that you can make your money work for you. You know, if you don't have a family that teaches you how you can invest your money or, you know, maybe they pass along really bad habits like running up their credit cards all the time or not being able to pay their rent. Well, that's a learned behavior as well. And so if we can show children how they could do it a different way, I, I really think that could affect our whole society. Uh, tell us in your own case, you have two kids and tell us what you've done with them. Right. So my children um, were very involved in our early years of starting this business because at that point, my daughter was one and my son was four when we stumbled across this kind of real estate. And so they got drugged to a lot of disgusting houses and showed a lot of rentals and did all that kind of thing. So they were they were there from the beginning. And at some point, my son, I think he was maybe eight or nine, said, hey, could I buy a, real, a rent house? And I was like, yes. And then he, he really, you know, made me proud. And he's like, well, do I have to stop at one? I was like, no. So from that point, I started looking for the right deal for him because rehabbing is one of my less favorite parts of this, this type of work. And I didn't want to get a huge rehab for him. So plus, at this point, he had saved up some money from uh, birthday gifts, Christmas gifts, 
mowing, you know, things like that. And he had several thousand dollars. And I use private lenders in our business, and some of our private lenders were willing to lend to him. So when we found the right deal that didn't need a lot of rehab and, most importantly, would cash flow from the moment we got it rented, we were able to get this house for him. He, We actually formed his own LLC, so he really is his own owner of this house. And so we bought that house, and you know he was involved in going through the scope of work with the contractor, getting all that done, and th- he obviously doesn't manage it because at the time he bought it, he was 12 and in sixth grade, so you know that's not going to work. But we've self we've managed it for him, and we actually did charge him a, a management fee because that in itself is a lesson that if you're not going to do that yourself, you need to be prepared to pay a professional. But he now has two, and my daughter, who is 10, bought her first one uh, last year. And so I'm very excited about that. And not only that, the private lenders helped facilitate the purchase, but our bank was actually willing to refinance their their houses. Um, as long as we guaranteed the loan, they didn't care that the LLC was owned by the, the children. And I'm I'm thrilled at the idea that, you know, maybe they could have five or six of them by the time they get out of college because then they would have a steady amount of passive income potentially their whole life. Or maybe they sell the houses and use it to start a business or, you know, something like that. But time is on their side because every month their houses are worth more as they pay down the principal. So it's it's been really exciting to watch them get involved. And my son even comes in and does his own QuickBooks entries. So we're, we're teaching him the backside of it as well. So you think this could be done by other parents that have other kids? Uh, it's, it's an unusual strategy, but it could be more widely. I think that it, it could. Um, it obviously helps that I have access to off-market deals, but I feel like anyone can get involved in this. Um, there are local real estate investor association meetings all over the country. They're called RIAs, and those are a fantastic place to educate yourself. So if you wanted to get your child in this, I would suggest you educate yourself some. Um, but, you know, there are tons of wholesalers out there and you don't have to be the one calling people or sending a mail. Wholesalers are more than happy to do that. And you pay them a fee and you still get a, a great deal on a house. So you could find a, a deal for your kid. Um, in our case, it was important that our kids actually owned it, but you know, there's lots of different ways to set things up. And, you know, if you maybe don't have the same kind of relationship with your bank where they would refinance it out. You know, so what if if you end up, you know, it being your kid's house, but you end up having to have it in your name for a while, something like that. Um, I think the the main thing is is just to educate our children. Um, I'm a huge advocate of that book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, and both of our children have read that, and they understand like when they're wasting money. We're like, well, is that a doodad? And like, yeah, that's a doodad, because even when from the, when they were young, they knew okay, that's wasting money. This is making my money work for me. And just, you can buy um, cash flow for kids. And so that's what we started with with our kids. So they understood the concept of investing your money and spending your money very early in life. So like it's, it's very ingrained in them at this point. And so you could definitely do that even if you maybe aren't prepared to go out and help your kids buy a house. You can further their financial education so that when they're ready, they can do it. Yeah, terrific. That's really a great idea. So in, in the small time we have left, why don't you kind of summarize what difference it can make in people's lives to be involved in real estate in the way we've talked about compared to 
not being involved in real estate? Well, like for us, it's completely changed our lives because our our net worth has gone up a lot since we we learned this. We are paying less in taxes. We we have flexibility. My husband is now full time in this business as well, so you know he has the benefit of being really present in our children's lives. He can take them to school, pick them up, all that kind of thing. And more than that, just passive income is. I, I feel like everybody should have passive income. You never know when you're going to get run over by a truck or. You might get COVID or you might have a loved one that needs care and you need to leave your job and take care of them. And if you have no passive income, how are you going to manage that? So, you know, the sooner the better so you can reap those benefits. And there's a million different ways to invest passively or semi-passively, whether that's in other people's deals or in triple net deals or um, partnering with people or, you know, investing in syndications, all those kind of things. You just need to educate yourself so you know where you're putting your money, obviously. And it's something you think the average you person have to go learn. buy the house yourself, I should say. It's something the average person can learn, but that was some studying. Oh, definitely. Uh, biggerpockets.com is also a great uh, forum that has a huge amount of investing information for both, you know, for all levels, really. Residential, commercial, you name it. Very good. Well, thanks so much. You've been a great guest. We've learned a lot about all kinds of creative real estate including what she's done with her own uh, children. My guest this hour has been Crystal Carruthers. Uh, she runs Chromis Capital, uh, based in Norman, Oklahoma. Uh, her website is chromiscapital.com. Her email is crystal at chromiscapital.com. Thanks so much for being a great guest on the Money Answer Show, Crystal. It was a real pleasure, Jordan. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.